0: Hello and welcome to the Let's Talk Azure podcast with your hosts, Sam Foote
1: and Alan Armstrong.
0: If you're new here, we're a pair of Azure and Microsoft 365-focused IT security professionals. It's episode 9 of season 4. Alan and I had a discussion around Microsoft Dev Box recently. It's an Azure service to quickly spin up and manage development environments in the cloud. Here are a few things that we covered. What Dev Boxes can be used for, how you can manage them how DevBoxes can streamline your development workflow, and what are the costs associated with running DevBoxes. We've noticed a large number of you aren't subscribed. If you do enjoy our podcast, please do do consider subscribing. It would mean a lot for us for you to show your support to the show. It's a really great episode, so let's get started. Hey, Alan, how are you doing?
1: Hey, Sam, not doing too bad, how are you?
0: Yeah, good, thank you. Yeah, really good um it's 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 summer we had a bit of sun this week, which was nice for our very rainy start to august that we had so yeah it's it's feeling a lot more summery here in the u k
1: yeah definitely definitely this week's been a lot better um, <laughs> yeah have been off a nice so it's been uh it's been a nice week off previous week was yeah terrible <laughs>
0: uh weather wiser hopefully <laughs> yes well yeah, <laughs> yeah, you picked a great week to be totally honest with you. <laughs> Uh, so, Alan, uh, DevBox, um, should, should we jump into it?
1: Yeah, sure. Okay, so should we start with sort of, you know, why would you need a development environment in the cloud?
0: Yeah, so, it, you know, it's, it's probably worth starting from, you know, sort of how software is developed um, and the sort of, you know, software and, you know, third-party systems that you might need. Um, so, so if you're a developer, um, you may have, you know, things like an integrated development environment, you know, think visual studio, visual studio code. Um, and then you'd obviously, you know, have the code that you would write for your application. You know, maybe as example that we use like a web application developer or something like that, you might have your, your integrated development environment. You might have a database that you need to run. You might also have all of the other. Uh, frameworks, SDKs that you need to actually, you know, develop that software. And and what can happen is, is, um, you know, just, just to get that um, software installed can take up a lot of space on your machine. Um, it can also take a lot of memory. Uh, so RAM inside of your machine to run um, as well. That's one part, you know, you're maybe, you know, constrained by local resources. Maybe you've got a thin and light laptop, you know, uh, maybe you don't have you know, oodles of, you know, uh, RAM and CPU performance. Also, the configuration of all of those tools to work together um, is complex. You know, it can take, you know, with a fresh machine, it can take a few hours to get all of that, maybe even more than that, if you have a complicated, um, you know, sort of tool chain and and um, an application. So um, DevBox is hosted in a, cloud service um can make a lot of sense you know there's um sort of infinitely more compute there there's larger instances that you can um sort of access remote into um, you can you know that there's it's a virtualization technology so snapshotting restoring uh modifying rebuilding is is all possible now that's all possible locally as well you know um, you can run your development environments and say Hyper-V. Um, and virtualize them so that you can get that snapshotting and and everything that you need there. Um, what in, in some org- organizations as well it, it may be that um, you know you want to save the time in each member of the team building their own development environments. you know having a standardized um, sort of image for your development environment can be really advantageous. you know let's say that a new team member joins the organization you know one part of their sort of onboarding process is to get their development environment set up you know it's it's a it maybe could be a brand new application that they're working on a brand new you know a business that they're they're working with and um that can take some time so just the learning to get all of those uh, bits together you know there could be gaps in your documentation cuz you, you know you don't change your laptop that often um so so those kinds of challenges uh, can be overcome um, with a, a a cloud-based system
1: okay so as well is there some um, scenarios where you may be working on a couple of projects on different um different languages and they won't sometimes they you know configuring those environments have to be you know you almost have to have new machines for each sort of type of build because you don't want to um, contaminate or Kind of contaminate, you know, bring additional things in that maybe you're not, you know, the general repos don't need. I guess is that another reason why to have something in the cloud?
0: Yeah, just to work through sort of a real life example of that happening uh, in the past. You know, um, as Microsoft moved from, you know, uh, the .NET framework over to you know .NET Core and now what we know as uh, .NET Standard or just .NET um, as it is today. you know you may be going through a stage of porting your application from an older framework version to a newer framework version you know and having uh, both of those um sort of installed um and jumping between them um c- can be complex i mean there there are there is tooling and there's support you know in some of those newer frameworks to support that because that is a kind of a common developer scenario yeah um, but you are completely right. You know, y- you don't know how you know different SDKs, frameworks, and software are going to interact with each other, um, and you know, and, and there's there's that to deal with. Uh, another area that I've um, I've sort of you know sort of missed, I think, as well is is that having a separate machine to develop on, you can have a very different you know. Um, security policy applied to that machine, right? We we, we kind of know that, you know, uh, developers need local admin, right? Because of all the various amounts of software that they need to install, you know? Um, and even when they run certain SDKs and frameworks, they need to have admin privileges to to do that. So um, developers can be, you know, on a security lens, deve- developers can be like a really sort of high-profile target target because they, they work with a lot of intellectual property and also they generally tend to have you know admin sort of level permissions to their, their boxes as well so they're installing loads of different software um and you know that is when you know um threat vulnerability management then comes into it you know are all those frameworks and sdks being patched regularly with their cycles and all kept up to date and x y and z so you sort of shifting you know, um, that that machine into into the cloud. I mean, ultimately you don't take away that requirement to have, you know, admin privileges, but for instance, you know, where developers read their email um, is a completely segregated system to where they actually do their development. So you get that, there is an element of isolation um, uh, there as well, you know, uh, on, on the basic, you know, uh, scenario sort of to, to explain it, basically your remote desktoping into another machine so that there is still a way that if somebody had access to your machine that they could you know watch what you were doing and and that sort of things but it is a completely isolated um environment from your local machine
1: yeah it would just be reducing risk there you know because like you said there's still a, a method to get there from an attack path perspective but you're just reducing or making it more difficult to get to that point and as you said you know compromise compromising that machine might not then um compromise you know the the internet to, you know, the ip and things like that it's yeah. on another machine and yeah yeah so. and
0: it, it might be from a sort of a ip loss perspective and a data loss pr- you know prevention perspective it might be that you would you know disable copy and paste in and out of the dev box right to start to protect about against you know um you know um unintentional data leakage you know for insider risk right there's other you know protection mechanisms there as well to have that completely isolated environment
1: yeah absolutely and what network it's it's coming out from and things like that to make sure it's like an internal network rather than big because you know we're hybrid working now when i think you know developers were kind of already doing that kind of most of the time i think anyway so yeah it just moves yeah there's different angles there and like you said being in the cloud means you've got technically as much resource as you need to use for what you need, providing you're willing to pay for it. Um so, so yeah you don't have to pre you know pre pre um or you know pay up front for the, the compute maybe if you've got like servers and stuff like that you need to buy on prem. So okay. So Sam, uh what is DevBox?
0: Okay, so um so so dev you know, in a real you know, a very sort of basic lens is a a virtual machine um, that is running in Azure that you can remote into. Um, And uh, I'll I'll talk more about management later on, Um, but, you know, effectively a developer, instead of running all of that, you know, um, all of those uh, pieces of software builds uh, X, Y, and Z on their local machine, they would uh, remote into Um, a machine inside of Azure. Um, That does require them to be online at all times because they need an active internet connection to do that, uh, remoting into that environment. Um, But what DevBox really gives you, because in in theory, you could just create a virtual machine in Azure, right? You know, and um, RDP, you know, remote desktop um, into that machine in a very simple um, scenario. Um, But what DevBox really does is it sort of layers on um, building um, sort of um skews cost control and sort of out of the box configurations with um, different images um, and pooling of dev boxes so it's it's effectively like a management layer um on top of that and there is some also some uh, differences with the pricing as well um but 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 essentially it allows you know um uh, platform engineers to build um, sort of the organization policies, um, you know, network configurations and security settings. It re- it also allows administrators of the projects, um, the development projects to sort of come in, look at cost control, the development experience, um, and to build those, that project structures out. And then from a developer perspective, they get the ability to just, you know, double click on a box, log into it and and start working. If it's a fresh box, it can be pre-configured, um, sort of out of the box um, for them.
1: Okay, cool. So kind of kind of sounds a little bit like um, Windows three six five.
0: Yeah. So if if you if if you think Windows three six five is is that exact same model really, but just for endpoints, you know, for I'll call them standard users really. Or well, I suppose you can use it for privileged workstations and, and bits and bobs right?
1: Yeah, but it's more um subscription based, isn't it? And sort of one per user kind of thing. Yeah, so... that's
0: that that is true. Um and I suppose the the skews that are available are very different. Um the starting skews for DevBox are probably the maximum skews for, you know, um Windows three six five, right? So, um so from 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 that perspective. But yes, very similar concept. Um you know, for that, that remote um, endpoint scenario.
1: Okay, so how, so how do you manage the boxes then, the the dev boxes?
0: Okay, so um, there's a, a few steps that you'd go through, you know, to get a developer into a, a dev box. Now, it really depends on the size of your organization because when I talk about these three different sort of roles and responsibilities that I'm going to go through, um, it could well be just one person. Um, as well. so it it's not you know uh, absolutely massively onerous to do that. But what you do is you start off by creating a dev center and and what that really is is it's a a way to sort of it's a it's sort of a container for all of the elements of Devbox. So when you want to go and manage your dev boxes, you 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 go into the dev center uh, in the Azure portal. Um, you would configure the network connection. Um, So so how the machine communicates, you know, to and from the internet effectively and other potential um, resources uh, in Azure. You would create a um, a dev box definition. So that is sort of uh, defining um, the SKUs, um, the image um, that's gonna be deployed um, onto that box as well. Um, So you create these definition files. And then what you then do is you create a dev box project, and that might also represent your actual project um, inside your your organization. So it could well be that for a given, you know, development project, you might have multiple dev boxes, maybe for different people. Maybe you might have different dev boxes for different parts of your application. You know, maybe your application, you know, uh, some of your engineers work on, you know, the web application. Some people work on the mobile applications. Other people work on the marketing website, and other people work on the the retail store. You know, there, there may be different projects in sort of your overall um, your overall business. Now, these types of tasks are really a, a platform engineer's role. So, platform engineering is really there to help manage the the infrastructure and the configurations of machines um in the cloud. Now, the the massive benefit for platform engineers is that this is half this is like a management layer for them. You know, they're not deploying, as we've spoken about before, but they're not deploying virtual machines, you know, managing access into it, you know, maybe setting up VPNs or port forwarding or peering and then, you know, installing all the tool chains and and bits and bobs like that. Um you know this is really wrapping all of that experience up into a into a service. Um there's also sort of uh, organizational policies that 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 go in place there and security settings that can be applied um to these virtual machines um as they are actually deployed. Once you've created your project, um you'll also create your pool of potential uh, dev boxes um and then once you've created those um you would then provide access to the project. So there's an element of RBAC um, inbuilt into here so that you can enable access to certain uh, developers and also other project admins as well, um, you know, into those projects. And then really once that that pool's set up, the developers can then access, create dev boxes, spin them up um, and then, you know, and then they can use them basically from there. So 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 really, you know, you're, you've got platform engineers sort of providing dev box in the infrastructure. You've got project admins sort of sitting in the middle there, um, configuring the uh, potential projects. They've also got cost control functionality. So they can just say what SKUs can be spun up, which ones can't. And really um, they can help to customize the tool sets that get deployed um, onto these uh, boxes. Um, And then the developers then, they don't really have to worry about any of the infrastructure or anything like that. They can just simply spin dev boxes up in line with those policies that have been um, defined for them.
1: Cool. That sounds really, really simple, doesn't it? Especially for the developers, they have to worry about knowing Azure, you know, from a virtual machine perspective or anything like that, just in effect, power them on or, you know, get them to build, let them provision and then use them so
0: yeah and it'll really it, it, yeah and it's probably just worth calling out is um we'll talk about it more when we come to pricing um but there's built-in auto shutdown hibernation um in place here because there is a consumption aspect pricing to devops uh devops <laughs> dev box sorry <laughs> um so um you can do things like schedule shutdowns in the evenings to turn those machines off um, and that's all integrated into Windows as well. It pops up and says, hey, this is going to be shut down. And you can delay it actually from the box itself. So there's a lot of really powerful integrated automation there as well uh, on a day-to-day basis.
1: Okay, cool. So I think these are, if I remember, these are like Windows 10, Windows 11 devices endpoints rather than like, because you want to be able to verify them. You don't want them to be a server sort of OS kind of thing. Um so you know they can obviously be matched with intune, but you know can you can you use custom images or settings for the box
0: yep so um you can use the um sort of standard um image library um from Azure you can also build your own images so it it may be that you would probably spin up a virtual machine uh configure it how you wish and then make a quick start image from it I would have thought if if you've got a singular um uh, box that's there. Um, what's also great is is that you know these machines have direct access to other infrastructure in Azure is probably worth talking about because you know uh, your your development teams might run from actual shared development database for instance where they can all sort of interact with it. Um, so so you've sort of got a like a ring fenced like sort of network environment there as well. Um, but yeah, so we've got policies, we've got management within Intune, um, and then we've got, um, images and settings for the actual dev experience, um, sort of built in, uh, to the, pro- the, the product.
1: Okay, cool. So you kind of mentioned about, you know, talking about the resources in Azure and things like that. So what networking options are supported?
0: Yeah, so um, when you um, basically as you set it up, um, you can create a network connection um, inside of the DevBox Center, which can be a connection um, into a VNet um, that y- you may control. Um, it's going to do the same thing as Windows three hundred and sixty five and Azure Virtual Desktop. It's going to ha- it's going to handle your connection, broker your connection into the machine. Um, even with that VNet peering um, I- in place, um, and you know, um, as you've sort of spoken about, um, Azure AD and hybrid Azure AD join within an Intune is is fully supported. So you're really getting you're really getting the ability to to, to connect into those private that private networking uh, that you've potentially got in Azure um, to really silo these devices away, you know, it might be, um, that you would look to create a separate VNet potentially for just development, right. That is completely isolated, you know, because, because of the, I would say more dangerous, you know, day to day dangerous activity that's potentially happening on those dev boxes, you know, running potentially untested non-production code, um, you know, you would you may wish to completely segregate all of that infrastructure away from anywhere else effectively, right? You know, so this will give you the ability um, to do that. You know, these dev boxes aren't running potentially in the same networks inside your organization, you know, on the machines, next to other, you know, end user endpoints. So uh, th- that's that's really powerful from, from from that perspective for isolation and segregation.
1: Yeah. Okay. So, yeah. So having the ability to potentially um, restrict the internet access for those devices as well uh, to limited to you know development scenarios. So you don't have to, you know, like you said, stop email things like that because they're connecting to a VNet that's maybe got a firewall on the end of it, um, separating it so that you know, like you said, they're running code that then can just you know be in that environment and they can access all the resources directly like they would potentially, or like the the services they're building would do in Azure. So maybe if you're building, like you said, a web app and it's talking directly to the SQL over a private endpoint or via the VNet, they can in effect, prove all that sort of stuff works as well. Not that it should be too much difference, but it's one of those extra things that you can check before um, doing it. Okay, so, I guess, you know, they're they're out there, developers are using them day in day out. Can we track their usage, make sure they're being used, we haven't got resources sort of left powered on. I know you said there's some like auto shutdown thing like that, but I guess that's if some of it's configured.
0: Yeah, so there's um diagnostic settings um built in. Um so there's a completely separate table. Um I can't remember the name of the table um that's created. I think it's Dev Center diagnostic logs, I believe, which is completely um, sort of segregated. There's, you know, uh, various different operations that are actually tracked inside of there, and the results of those operations. So y- you could you could feed that into another system to to monitor that day to day to to look at you know the the access that's happening there. Um, so so you can you can start to feed, and you've obviously got the endpoint analytics that you can pull from those boxes as well. So it really gives you a, you know, um, as we've spoken about, you can potentially isolate that environment, pull the logs from it and really see what's happening, you know, uh, in and out of that environment um, sort of, you know, it's in near real time, uh, basically. So, yeah, that is supported um, out of the box because, you know, these machines, you know, th- th- they, they could have your most sensitive intellectual property on them, right? You know, they are... Uh, the it's it's sometimes scary the amount of value that are placed on on these workstations right so so having that visibility and that that segregated access is 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 really powerful
1: yeah well as you said you know um you know the intellectual property being stolen things like that is one thing but also if we think about um you know supply chain attacks you know just a little bit of malicious code just dropping itself in there and you not noticing you know seeing those kind of things happening on those boxes I mean that is I guess say worst case scenarios here of that happening but we've seen it in the world um things like solar and things like that where it's been yeah it's been put into the into the you know into the the software so it's one thing to sort of keep it at the, you know back of minds and things like that but but yeah okay so we kind of talked about it a little bit but you know how much does dev box cost? What's the pricing sort of mechanisms?
0: Okay, so I I think I'll probably start with the SKUs, really, and just explain sort of, you know, how the sort of level that they start at. So the worst SKU, I'm using air quotes that you can't see, Um, you know, it's um, eight virtual CPU cores, 32 gigabytes of RAM and 256 gig of storage is the worst SKU. Um, the best SKU, It's 32 virtual CPU cores, 128 gigabytes of RAM and, um, two terabytes worth of storage. Wow. So we're really talking about very high end, um, you know, potential resources. Now, I don't know of, uh, let's say a laptop that has 32 CPU cores. There must be, maybe there's workstation laptops that I don't know about. I'm guessing there is they're probably pretty to be heavy be heavy <laughs> <laughs> not very portable for alan on the train yes alan <laughs> um so, so so really you've got the flexibility of being able to you know um sort of set your skew for your you know in your dev box definition you'll set your skew to what it is that you want to run um you know your your development environments from you know some people may decide to run their development environments at a lower skew to see what potential performance bottlenecks or impacts there are potentially. Um, so there's different strategies like that um, so so there's a range anywhere from 8, 16, 32 virtual cores from 32 gig of RAM up to 128 gigabytes of RAM. So there's absolutely plenty of you know performance there and I think it's probably worth noting that you know different projects with different roles can have different skews depending on what they need. You know, uh, it may be that one of your applications is a hu- You know, requires huge amounts of memory. As an example, you know, others may be more. You know, um, CPU uh, bound. So there's 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 things to, to to think about and to to change there.
1: Okay, just just before you go on, so it's not um, so Microsoft has specified um, SKUs that you're allowed to use, rather than it being any type of vm on azure
0: yes that's correct yeah
1: okay so kind of it does definitely count kind of sound like avd where they're, they're specifying the the skews that you're allowed to use um the difference is like you said it's well i guess we'll talk about it in a minute but you know with with a with windows 365 it's you buy it as a subscription so it's paid for in effect monthly so how, how do you pay for these ones is it the same thing
0: Probably one thing to call out actually, which is slightly different with the SKUs as well, is you can't mix and match virtual CPUs and memory and storage. Okay, so if you have eight virtual CPU cores, you always have 32 gig of RAM. The only difference between the SKUs is the storage. 16 virtual CPUs is 64 gigabytes of RAM, and the only difference is the storage. And then 32 virtual CPUs is 128 gigabytes of RAM. So, you know, like in Windows 365, you can really tune. I want more cores, less RAM. Can't you do it in that one? You can there's do a, that. There's a little bit, yeah. Little it's still, a, it's still
1: a little bit sort of rigid. There is, yeah, there is more flexibility. But yeah. so you're kind of saying there's three, there's three CPU and RAM combinations. And then it's then disk space changes. Yes. Kind of thing.
0: Yeah, yeah, but l- like you mentioned, no picking of the actual SKU in Azure or anything like that. That's all handled Microsoft side. Yeah. Um, and the actual pricing is interesting because it's it's like a capped consumption pricing model. So, I'll use the quote lowest <laughs> um, <laughs> skew as the example. So, eight virtual cores, thirty-two gig of RAM, and two hundred fifty-six gigabytes of storage. Now, the hourly compute on that box is i'll do it in dollars $1.69 okay the monthly storage cost is $21.47 for the 256 gigabytes of storage okay but i'll I'll ignore that because it's you know that's that's obviously needs to be factored into your pricing but that's not what affects this consumption limit pricing now what's interesting is is the maximum price for that SKU per month is $156. Okay. And what happens is, is once you've used it for a certain amount of that, once you get to, let me just work that out. I'm just going to fire up my calculator because I'm... It's 156
1: hours or something, isn't it?
0: Divided by $1.69. 92 hours. Okay. Right? So once you get to 92 hours you're then capped at the $156 dollar price point. Okay. So if I divide 92 by 4.4 for the average number of weeks in a month, you get to basically 21 hours a week. So if you were to use it, say 35 hours a week, then anything over 21 hours a week is just going to be it's not free because you've already <laughs> paid for it, but it's going to be capped at that rate. So what this is, what it, I think this is beneficial, beneficial for both sort of ends of the extreme. You know, people that use these machines twenty four seven, right? They're going. It's going to be great because they are capped at one hundred and fifty six dollars, right? And one hundred and fifty six dollars for eight virtual CPU cores and thirty two gig of RAM is a pretty good deal. Because these are Windows 10, Windows 11 endpoints, it's probably should, should also be known that you need to provide that user needs to be licensed for the operating system. The same as when that's the same as Windows 365, right? You need to be licensed Correct. Uh, for that. So, our operating system is a separate um, layer on top of this. This is we're just talking about com- compute at this point. Um, so so yeah so you're looking at a capped, you know um what was it 92 hours of compute but if you don't use it for 92 hours right um you know there's potential for certain developer boxes to only be used in s- scenarios you might have a you might have a qa box that you run up one, you know that you test on you know maybe you put your You download download your production releases on it, and you run through a test suite. You know, you boot it up potentially, and you maybe you go through that process manually. Maybe you can't fully CI/CD that testing process. I'm just using some examples, but 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 basically, there is a up to that 92 hours. There is a you know just a per hourly compute cost uh, for for that infrastructure.
1: Okay, so when this was in preview i think when we first looked at these we were worried about it being you know that the full price and not, they're not being a cap and we couldn't quite understand uh, in some sense what their usage was i think when we were first looking at why because it's quite you know it seemed quite expensive i think but with that cap it kind of seems quite nice again i think
0: yeah exactly yeah and it's um that that uh, you know because basically it gives you the best of both worlds Because if you do use it for say an unlimited amount You can't use it for an unlimited amount Because it's only a certain number of hours in a month right? So it's in theory it's yeah. capped by time But if you do use it a lot I don't really think $156 For that instance Is potentially That expensive I mean you could always make the argument of CapExing a laptop And then you know using it for four years right but you know an eight virtual uh, an eight cpu core 32 gig of ram machine is what two and a half thousand dollars two thousand dollars maybe more than that if you're going workstations you know yeah and it's
1: it's not just that though is it? it's the uh, what as it breaks exactly. scenarios, things like that you know you got to buy another one to replace it we yeah. got the downtime probably worth calling well, that out that
0: you can sorry um that you can connect to it with a a browser just like you know um windows you can connect to win yeah you can get to windows 36 both avd and, windows and avd yeah. yeah you can do those both um oh, I saw the same thing it's not the same thing but it is the same thing um so you know that there is that business continuity perspective as well right laptop dies you know um in theory you could connect to it from an ipad you could connect to it from a another you know spare on the shelf inventory laptop without having to rebuild everything you know um th- there's there's that part of it um yeah then just probably worth calling out the licensing so you're looking at f3 e3 a3 um and above uh, uh, e5 a5 licensing business premium um and I'm not sure what else there would be, but effectively where you get that, is it Windows Enterprise license? Is that what the benefit's called? In yeah, Windows Enterprise
1: yeah. or Windows for Business if you're using the the Business Premium side exactly. of yeah. Um so, To give you a subscription screw to give you, in effect, the, it's uh, still around, but the VDA license, in effect, to allow you to remote onto another machine from an RDS perspective.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, you know, and it will stop, you know, infighting in the organization where certain people have better laptops than other people, right? You know, it's just everybody's got the same, right? It's just, it's easy peasy at that point. So, um so yeah, uh, definitely a more um, modern, I would say advanced development, you know, uh, methodology and, and system. Um, but it's definitely a very modern and well thought out approach to those, you know, potentially sensitive uh, workstations.
1: Yeah, it definitely sounds good. I mean when we first seen it, like we said, it seemed from a management perspective, seemed really good. Pricing seemed a little bit uh high, but the as you just said now, it seems really good now. Um and I th- yeah, it, it's probably worth calling out that the 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 broker part of it is in effect Azure Vetch Desktop, A V D, Windows 365, they're all using that same technology, same brokers, because it just works, doesn't it? So why why rebuild something different just you you jump on the same service
0: yeah and you know the underlying tech might be the same but the management planes are very different yeah. to all of them right they're very specifically focused into their actual use cases um it's you know i should probably just call out the maximum sku monthly cost cuz that's also sometimes exciting <laughs> as well so 32 virtual cpu cores 128 gigabytes of ram 2 terabytes of storage <laughs> Your monthly storage cost is one hundred and seventy-one dollars for two terabytes of, I assume, premium SSD, um, and your hourly compute is six dollars seventy-four, um, capped at seven hundred and ten dollars a month. <laughs> so, if you have a, de- <laughs> if you have a development need um, that requires thirty-two virtual cores and one hundred eight gig of RAM, um, yeah, there's a there's a skew there for you as well. Slightly eye-watering um, at that price, but fingers crossed you're not running it. Yeah, can, can you imagine
1: <laughs> the cost of a physical device though? But that.
0: well, that's and, and and that's it. What 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 is that? That's is that Mac Studio? Probably, I would have thought. Um, mm. And other probably high-end workstations, right? And you're probably talking. I I, I don't know actually. I don't know at those sort of crazy high numbers. What the roi is on both sides right it might be actually the more ram you put in per gigabyte it becomes cheaper and i don't know so you know yeah i,
1: I guess in some of those boxes though if if we're thinking it's going to be more of a desktop than a laptop then you're also stopping yourself from being mobile i mean yes you can remote that machine but then you've like you said you've got to put in vpns and everything to to jump oh, onto yeah, yeah. all the software yeah. to to jump onto it at least yeah and it's so.
0: your responsibility like all of the infrastructure and all the layers in between, you know, uh, this is this is Microsoft providing it to you, right, as a service. So um, it's it's for them to worry about the the uptime of it.
1: Okay, cool. So is there anything else you can think of around uh, Dev Boxes, or Dev Box?
0: No, I think it's going to be you know up to an organization to work out you know, the, the ROI, the risk reduction, potentially, you know, the reduction in management and overhead, um, whether whether it's going to be worth it for them. Um, I think for the repeatable, you know, environments and development experience, I think get massive savings there, um, just straight away and being able to change your SKUs and, you know, decide your performance is, is pretty powerful.
1: Well, I guess as well, um, if if anybody you know if anybody wanted to try it out, it's relatively simple. Not necessarily, say well, it is simple to kind of set up, but it's there's no upfront cost to no. get it set up. You know, you can start using it and paying that you know one dollar an hour. You know, turn it on, see you know set up all the configuration, and then get a dev or get someone to like jump onto a box, see what it's like. See what you know like your worst case is hundred and fifty six dollars for one box if it ran for a month. Yeah, you, know, you, that's, just, that's you just put the auto nice stop on it wouldn't
0: you, and you'd shut it down, right? Like, just like, you know, you'd deallocate a virtual machine. It's the same you yeah. know, concept there. So, yeah, yeah like you exactly said, in... very low barrier to entry, like for sure. Definitely.
1: Yeah, cool. Okay, so it's probably worth, because, you know, we did, did say around this that um, it's very similar to AVD and, and um, Windows 365. So... If if you're in sort of interested in some of those sort of that technology, um, it's probably worth uh, jumping back to our, um, our season three episode twenty where we did a AVD versus or AVD in Windows three six five comparison. Um, now thinking we should pro- we should add DevBox into that into that mix as well. Yeah,
0: to be fair, yeah. Well, <laughs> actually, actually, you know, you could say that AVD would be quite a good other technology to compare this against. Really, right. Because if you do need skew flexibility and images, yes. you know, AVD can also do quite a lot of that, can't it? If, you, if you're yeah, happy can, to provision that.
1: Yeah, I think it's a blend of the two, though. Yes. I think it's kind of the taking 60%, 80% of the management away from you, but giving you the flexibility to be consumption.
0: Yes. I think it's that sort of
1: mix. Yeah. So I think it's like the the happy... Place for you know, for for this um, scenario at least.
0: Is it the Goldilocks? Is it you know they're just they're just for right developers, yes. <laughs> for developers? Yes,
1: for developers. <laughs> yes, because you haven't got to manage you haven't got to manage the hosts and everything in AVD exactly, and you I don't have to agree. give someone a skew that's that's only one per. What well, you can get more than one per user, but they have to have different SKUs in effect, and they have to pay. You know, you have to pay one month at a time, three months at a time. It's not just like you said, turn off, turn on, yeah, exactly. kind of thing.
0: So, um, so Alan, it's, it's your episode um, next? Um, what are you going to be covering?
1: So, I'm going to cover what uh, Microsoft recently announced with the the rebrand of Microsoft Entra or Microsoft or Azure AD being now called uh, Microsoft Entra ID. Um, as part as that of that coming out that announcement, um, they announced the uh, Microsoft Entra Global Secure Access. Um, which is quite interesting about how you can you know secure your endpoints and how they access the internet wherever they are. So it's kind of um, similar to a secure web sort of gateway kind of thing. So um, I'm looking at it, you know, it's very new to me uh, because it's just come out. Um, but I've been setting it up and, um, yeah, we'll, we'll talk about it.
0: Okay, great. Yeah, sounds, sounds really good.
1: So did you enjoy this episode? Um, If so, please do consider leaving us a review on Apple or Spotify. This really helps us to reach more people like you. Um, If you have any specific feedback or suggestions, we have a link in our show notes to get in contact with us.
0: Yeah, and if you've made it this far, uh, thanks very much for listening and we'll catch you on the next one.
1: Yeah, thanks for listening. See ya.